According to the foster care organization Voices for Children, there are more than 400,000 children in foster care at any given time. The statistics are disheartening. 75% of children in foster care are working below grade level in school. 50% will never graduate from high school or obtain their GED. Over one-third of all foster teen boys will be incarcerated before age 21. 25% of foster children experience PTSD. That's comparable to the rate of U.S. war veterans, and they tend to suffer high rates of debilitating depression and low self-esteem. After aging out, 25% of foster teens will become homeless. Paul Deventier didn't just shake his head in disappointment. He put his faith in action to help children in the system. That's on this Action in Ministry. Inspiring you to be the hands. Empowering you to be the feet. Strengthening you to be the heart of Christ for others. Action. Action. Action in Ministry. Hi, I'm Rachel Legoute, and this is Action in Ministry. When we hear the statistics about foster children, it's hard to not want to help. It's hard to think about children being tossed about from one stranger's home to another after already experiencing tragedy in their lives. But taking them in is a commitment and sometimes a risk. Pastor Paul Deventier is with me today. He's the current speaker and president of the By the Way radio program, and he has taken this risk over and over again. Paul, thanks for joining us today. Well, it's an honor to be with you, Rachel. I first want you to tell us a little bit about yourself, because your resume is elaborate and exciting. Before we get into your family life, can you give us a brief look at what you've been a part of professionally? I grew up wanting to be a pastor. Would not have imagined the career that I've experienced. It's been a wonderful blessing. But got involved in radio early on when I graduated from the seminary, was sent to KFUO Radio, Mm -hmm. the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's radio stations in St. Louis, and from there to the communications department of the church body. And from there, based on some of our experiences as a foster and adoptive family, I had the opportunity to serve as national director of a major adoption awareness program funded by the Congress of the United States. And we moved to Washington, D.C. and had that wonderful experience. And when that ended, became a senior vice president at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, and uh, finally, retirement. I've said to some of my friends, I flunked retirement because uh, I'm still, it seems, as active as I ever was. I'm serving a, a parish currently in northern Wisconsin and continue to do the radio program. I think if you can start that that narrative out by saying, I always wanted to be a pastor, and you can sit here and say, in retirement, you're doing that thing you wanted to do. I think that you're, uh, I think you're doing retirement right, actually. <laughs> well, it's been wonderful, actually. We, we love the Northwoods of Wisconsin. It's a beautiful area of God's creation, and as long as uh, the Lord allows us to be involved in ministry, we will be. Can you tell me a little bit about your family? 
Sure. Um, we have five children, and I should really say at the outset that the person who's probably contributed more than anyone else to our foster care endeavors is my wife, Ellen. Uh, she deserves the bulk of the credit. She has invested more of herself in that area than, than I have. But uh, five children, three of whom came to us as foster children and ultimately uh, came to be our children through adoption. We'll never win an award for good family planning. <laughs> um, the, the age spread is rather dramatic, but um, uh, we can talk about that another time. Yeah. What was your so? What was your home like life before fostering? When when did you begin fostering and then um, adopt your three adoptive children? Adopted children. Well, uh, we had been married two or three years, and no children yet, mm -hmm. and. My wife saw an article in a local newspaper from a child care center for emotionally disturbed children looking for visiting foster parents. She said, look, we have an extra bedroom and we have time. We could do that. The idea was that these older children um, in this child care center would have a place to go on weekends with visiting foster parents. So that's how it started. And, you know, I've always thought sometimes the tiniest spark can get a person involved. And I, you know, I pray that what you're doing will accomplish that as well. Someone may say, you know, I've never thought about that, but we could do that. That would really be neat. So we did. And for several years, we had older children from the center visit us on weekends. And one of the boys kind of adopted us, mm. uh, became very close, and the center finally said, um, you know, could he live with you? He can still go to school at the center, but could he live with you during the week? And we said, fine. And so he moved in, and when he was 10 years old, the center said, he's probably never going to go back home. Mm. Would you consider keeping him as a foster child or adopting him? His adoption went through in August, um, and our first child was born into the family in September. So we had two children the same year, 10 years <laughs> apart in age. So that's how the family started. And then after our first was born um, into the family, we kind of transition to infants rather than the older children. And for more than 20 years, there was never a time in our household when there was not at least one baby and sometimes mm. more. Oh, my goodness. That's a lot of years to have an infant in your house. So when you started welcoming these these older children into your home to stay for the weekend— what did you foresee your future of fostering to be at this point? Is this something that you thought, oh, it's a phase? Or did you know right away that it was something that would be a part of your life like it has been? You know, I don't recall even thinking about that. <laughs> um, I think it just kind of happened by divine design and a little bit of encouragement from others involved in foster care that we 
said, well, sure, we can do that. And it became so much a way of life. I think my children would say, you know, they they never knew it could be otherwise. They just assumed every family had a baby around at all times. <laughs> Did you guys see it as a type of ministry, or was it just something that you saw a need and and wanted to step in and help? Well, it's it's both. I mean, we saw the need, and we were happy to help. But, you know, we've always been very committed to life, and this was a way we could express our conviction that God creates life, and He intends for us to allow that life to continue. You know, to this day, we celebrate the women who have had the choice of terminating a pregnancy or giving life to a child. We celebrate that decision that they have made. And this was one way we could show support. Well, in 20 years of fostering infants, I would imagine that you've seen a lot of ups and downs along that journey. I'm wondering, what are some of the challenges that come with welcoming babies into your home? Well, they're... You know, as you might imagine, uh, there are a variety of conditions that can affect an infant, and we experienced quite a few of those. You know, they were problems that could be dealt with. Later on in our experience as foster parents, we had quite a number of drug-exposed infants, Mm -hmm. uh, and it breaks your heart. We had one little girl who I think cried almost constantly for the first month of her life as uh, she withdrew from the effect of the drugs, but became happy, productive little girl and, uh, and survived that period of time. And we were always convinced, you know, that this too shall pass, as it were. The infant will have a chance to experience life to its fullest, provided there is adequate support and care for the child. We had a variety of uh, physical, medical conditions. One that always sticks in my mind, a little boy who uh, was just lethargic, didn't seem to be active, involved, six months old, and still we took him to doctors and pediatricians, and they said, he's perfectly healthy. There's nothing wrong with him. And finally, it was determined that the poor little guy couldn't see properly. Oh, wow. And as an infant, you know, I don't know how many infants you've seen wearing glasses. (laughs) Not many. He was outfitted with with glasses, and he came alive. I mean, we couldn't couldn't hold him down. He was so excited about life (laughs) simply because of you know, a vision problem. Of course, um, getting up in the middle of the night was not (laughs) something I did well. Um, But every once in a while, my dear wife would elbow me and say, honey, it's your turn. (laughs) And everyone contributed, and that was a way of life, and the joy certainly outweighed any of the problems we experienced. So when you would welcome a new child into your home... Was there ever any expectation of how long that child would be there, or were they just they were just there until it was time for them to move on? Yes, I mean we never knew, and some only three or four months, but we had some 
for more than two years. And that's a horrible experience. In fact, when we talk about foster care with others, they say, oh, you know, we couldn't do that. We couldn't give them up. Well, we couldn't either. Yeah. Uh, we went through grief every time a child left. But we frequently had the opportunity to meet the adoptive parents and to see their excitement. Mm. And then we'd start over. told the story of my wife who was running late for choir practice because I was at the office too long. <laughs> and we, we met at the front door. I was coming in and she was leaving. And the only thing she said was, if someone drops a baby off, take it. Oh. And that's the way life was for us. Oh, um, wow. Here's another baby. And we didn't know how long it would be. But in any event, it was never easy giving them up, but mm. we had the highest hopes for them. How did you guide your household through that process? How did you help everyone deal with that, and, and you yourself? You know, I can't say that it, it got to be easier, but it did become routine. We knew what was going to happen. You know, the family was very supportive, very involved in the care of the infants, and um, they knew that the day would come that the child would be leaving. They also knew that likely within a day or two there would be another one. I think that that helped. It was never easy, but we grew accustomed to the, to the routine. What do you think your family's impact was on the foster children who came through your home? Well, we spoiled them all. <laughs> and often said, you know, that was our privilege because uh, we didn't have to see the consequences down the road. But uh, that was kind of our method of operation, as it were. Uh, love them, care for them, give them the best possible start in life, and then trust you know, that God would um, place them in a situation where that could continue and the child could succeed and thrive. What kind of rewards came along the way? I've heard you, you know, at your voice lift as you've told stories, but what's the positive benefit to your family of having foster children come into your home? You know, I think they are. They are many. I'm sure if you asked our children, and certainly my wife, they would say, you know, what a marvelous opportunity we had. I mean, these precious gifts from a creative God, uh, each one different, by the way. And that was one of the things that, that was so, I don't want to say stunning, but something we probably never knew in quite the same way as we did after we had all these children is that no two were alike. My my boys, by the way, I have to tell you, when they got to be 8 or 10 years old, they knew what it was like to have a baby around. They take care of a baby very well, feed them, change their diapers, whatever. But on Sunday morning in church, they always insisted that they hold the baby <laughs> because it was a wonderful way to attract the young women <laughs> in the congregation. So that was one of the benefits for them. <laughs> and here I was just about to ask you about the spiritual impact on your family. <laughs> I see those boys learned real early that it was it was good to have the babies in church, huh? <laughs> yes, right. How has the process of, of welcoming 80, 80 foster children, more than 80, you've welcomed into your home? Um, yes. 
How has that impacted you as you've watched God work in your lives, in your family's life, in the lives of these children? I think we have a greater appreciation for uh, the wonder of life, the diversity in life, the challenges in life. You know, whatever category you might mention, it ultimately goes back to the God who designed all of this. I mean, it's just a marvelous design. But also the God who has promised that he will be with that child for as long as that child is alive. We're strong advocates of adoption, as you might imagine. Mm -hmm. But God adopted all of us. You know, he made us his children, you know, through the waters of holy baptism. He adopted us. We now have the opportunity to do something similar with children who need a forever family, as it were. Um, But so many spiritual ties to um, the love and care that God expects us to show to our family, our friends, our neighbors, uh, to the world, as it were, uh, that he loves so much, the opportunity to express that in a very small way. Paul, I've heard people say that God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. And I'm wondering if that is something that you've seen play out in your time in life, in ministry, in your fostering in an adoption. Absolutely. Uh, and I'm a perfect example. I mean, there's, there's no way, going back all those years, that I would have said, you know, I am really good at foster care. I didn't know anything <laughs> about it. Um, and it, it sort of happened, and by God's design and because of His grace, you know, we were able to contribute something, but not because we came in fully equipped and trained. And I think that's true of all of us, um, no matter what the area. God has the ability to provide opportunities for all of us to learn, to experience, to grow, to contribute, uh, even though we may not come to the table fully equipped. Well, Paul, I have to say thank you to you for sharing your story with us today. You're an inspiration. Um, all the things that you have shared with us about your family and your um, your impact in your communities um, is just a joy to listen to you. And so I thank you for joining us on the show today. Well, you're very kind, Rachel. I'm happy to do it and uh, appreciate the opportunity to talk about something that's very close to my heart and uh, the hearts of those in our family, Lord willing, some blessings will result. God doesn't call the equipped. He calls us, and he equips us to love and serve those around us. God called Pastor Devontier and his family to love tiny babies and children by giving them a home and a family. How is God calling you? Who is he equipping you to love and serve? That's Action and Ministry. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rachel Legutte. Thank you for listening to Action in Ministry. We'd love to hear how you and your church are ministering to your community. To submit ideas for this podcast, visit our website, lhm.org forward slash action, and send us an email.